I want to thank the pastor in advance for the privilege that I have to stand here again after 34 years. It's always a blessing to me, and, and we do. Uh, We do, want to, we do want to pray for uh, our pastor and Ashley and the family and other members of the staff that are taking a few days away. You know, I, I try to be helpful as I possibly can be every time I stand in this pulpit. And I was rigging something the other day, and it uh, said that the one resolution that most people give at the beginning of the year, if you could guess what it would be, you probably would guess it, I'm going to lose weight. <laughs> and you're always trying to be helpful. I found out that there is now new research that I would just mention to begin with, with regard to this problem of being overweight. I learned that the Japanese eat very little fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or Americans. And I learned that the French eat a lot of fat and also suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or Americans. And then I found out that the Japanese drink very little red wine and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or Americans. The Italians drink excessive amounts of red wine and also suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or Americans. The Germans drink a lot of beer and eat lots of sausages and fats and suffer fewer heart attacks than the British or Americans. So they came to a conclusion. Eat and drink what you like. Speaking English is what kills you. Bow with me in prayer. Father, I thank you for leading us to the throne of grace and music as our brother did. And I want to be helpful this morning. There are so many of us with distractions and problems and difficulties, and sometimes we, we forget that there is a God who loves us and is concerned about us. So I pray that you would anoint me as I bring this message the only reason that I have in my heart to preach this morning is to be a blessing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Before we turn to the text, I'd like to read one other verse I should have given to our secretary. It's found in Colossians, the first chapter and the 16th verse. And this is what the Bible says, by Jesus were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, invisible things, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Now, if you would turn in the scriptures to the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, the first chapter and the 16th verse, well, no, that's not it. The first chapter and the first verse. The Bible says that God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. 
Now, if you will, turn to the second chapter, or that is the 14th verse of the first chapter. Speaking of the angels, God says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Now we turn to the second chapter, verse 9. Now we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons and glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that set us apart sanctifieth, and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. I want to bring a message this morning in a manner that might be helpful to all of us on the doctrine of angels. We don't usually hear a lot of whole sermons on angels, dealing with every aspect of angel life. But I learned something in my early ministry. Starting out as a Roman Catholic, I didn't know Baptist polity, went to college, went to seminary. But in my second church, which was an open country church in Mississippi, I was there two weeks. And I received a call on Sunday afternoon after I preached. And a harried woman in her middle 30s said, Preacher, could you come by the house? We all think Mama is dying. Now, Mama was a saint of God. I'd already visited her the first week I was there. She was in her high 80s. She was just worn out. That was what she was dying of. All five of her children were called to the youngest daughter's house with whom she lived. And so I quickly got in my car and ran to the house of half a mile away. Cars were all out in the yard. I came in, and they ushered me back into the bedroom. Shades were drawn, a couple lights on, and the five children stood there. I said to the youngest one, could I pray for her? She said, please. So I got on my knees, which was my habit, and grabbed her by the hand, and she looked up at me, and I prayed. And then we just stood there quietly. All of a sudden, she suddenly lifted half up from her bed and said, oh, you're here. You're so beautiful. Yes, I'm ready. She looked up at us and said, can't you see them? Yes, yes, take me. And she lowered her hands as she settled back in the bed. 
and ended up in the bosom of Jesus. I thought I heard an angel sing. Was somebody out there? 24 years ago, the fastest selling book in the history of the publishing industry was Billy Graham's book, Angels, God's Secret Agents. The publisher said he kept the presses running night after night after night for 30 days because of the demand on that book. Why such a demand? It's not too difficult to understand. There's so much hellish things going on today. One who believes in the Word of God would have to say that the demonic oppression was so heavily cast upon the earth that we need some help. And so I want to examine this doctrine with you. You see, I think it's important for me to make sure you understand, first of all, the reality of angels. The Reader's Digest tells the story of Dr. S. W. Mitchell, noted neurologist in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He said his wife was off at this season of the year visiting some of the children. He was by himself and he had a difficult day with several emergencies. He said, I came in late to my townhouse and had a little drink and put my pajamas on and went to bed. He said, pretty soon I heard it beating on my front door. Now that was the last thing that I wanted to hear was a beating on my door at that time of the morning. But I got up and put my robe on and went downstairs, opened up the door, and there was a little 10-year-old with a red coat on and a muffler around her throat and little rubber boots that she wore, obviously, to school. She said, sir, please, would you come? My mama is very sick. He said, well, we'll call a doctor. She said, well, you're a doctor and my mama is very sick. Won't you please help her? He said, all right, just a minute. Wait here, let me get dressed. And he ran upstairs and got dressed and got his little black bag. And then he realized he didn't even ask her where she lived. And he got downstairs and said, where do you live? She said, just down the street some. So on that snowy night, Dr. S.W. Mitchell accompanied that little 10-year-old girl to an apartment building, walked up one flight, went into 3A, knocked on the, well, they didn't knock on the door, she just walked in, and he went in and found this mother seriously ill. He was able to diagnose what it was, it was pneumonia, he had some things with him that he could give her. He called an emergency vehicle to come and pick her up and take her to the hospital, and he made all arrangements. And then he said, I want to commend you for your little daughter. 
she so energetically begged me to come and help you. And the mother looked up from the bed and said, Sir, my daughter died last month. Why, her coat and galoshes are still in the closet. He looked at her, walked over to the closet, opened up the door, and there was a red coat and the boots and the muffler, and they were dry. I thought I heard an angel sing. Was somebody out there? Missionary John G. Patton, one of your missionaries, was settled into his new assignment in the New Hebrides Islands. He had brought his three little children. He went to a place where they said could have been inhabited by a hostile crowd of Aborigines, Indians. He said they were there a couple of weeks and all of a sudden they heard tom-toms and the beats of a drum and they looked out the window and they saw the Indians with their torches coming to the cabin. He got on his knees with his wife and told the children to lay on the floor and pray. And they began to pray. They prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. They prayed all night long. And the next morning, as light began to dawn through the windows, they looked out there and they saw the Indians begin to leave. A little less than a year later, the chief was saved trusted Christ as his Savior. And at a banquet in honor of the missionaries, John G. Patton turned to the chief and said, remember that time you and your warriors came to my cabin, obviously to do us harm? What stopped you? Oh, you know what stopped me, the chief said in their language, which he understood now. What was it? What stopped you? He said, those, those tall, bright, shining men with store, swords all standing all around you. We were afraid. Patton didn't think he heard an angel sing. He knew it. Angels, the Bible tells us or calls them ministering spirits. They have a special ability that will enable them to change their appearance and shuttle in a flash from the seat of glory back down here to the earth. The Bible makes it very clear they are non-material. They are spiritual ministering spirits. But you say they're all women. I've seen their, why? We just got through listening to, about Leonardo. We just got through listening about Michelangelo 
and the painters in the Renaissance period. You've never seen an angel that didn't have long hair. They're all women. Easily explainable for those great artists. For you see, back in that day, almost 2,000 years ago, men were lords and masters in Germany, the Germanic tribes in Italy. They were lord and master in their home. Their wives did exactly what they were told to do by these men. But people, because their people were hurting and in distress and having problems. And the ancients drew these ministering spirits with the only comforting personage they knew, a mama. (laughs) Who is more comforting than a mama when there's a need? Who is more comforting when there's a mama when the knee is cut, crushed and hurt or cut? And so all of the paintings have female angels. Now, while angels, as ministering spirits, can inhabit a body, they do not have a body. Neither do they have any ability to reproduce. Listen to what Jesus said in the book of Mark, the 12th chapter. He said, speaking about people who died, when they rise from the dead, they will neither marry nor marry. These are about the seven brothers that married the same woman. And they, they were, the, the, the Sadducees had asked Jesus a tricky question, which one they're going to be married to. And he said, well, I'll tell you this, neither when they rise from the dead do they marry, neither are they given in marriage, but they are as the angels in heaven. The Bible tells us that David recorded at least 20,000 angels coursing through the heavens. Listen to Psalm 68, 17. The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. Deuteronomy tells us that when the law was given on Mount Sinai, 10,000 angels came down for that occasion. The Bible tells us in Revelation 5:11 that angels ministered to the person of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation says that armies of angels will appear with the Lord Jesus at the battle of Armageddon. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. The Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. I want you to think with me for a moment. Multitudes of angels, ministering spirits. They're real, folks. We're talking about the reality of angels. They're real. You say, but preacher, they sound weird. They're angels. I mean, 
Now, let me ask you a question. Do you understand that everything you apprehend and comprehend in life, you do so with one or more of your five senses? Taste, touch, see, smell, and hear. You don't understand or apprehend anything in your life outside of one or more of those five senses. What am I standing here? This is called a pulpit. What do I have in my hand? A Bible. How do I know? That's, I've been told it was a Bible. It's made out of paper. How do I know what that is? Well, I was told that everything that you and I understand and comprehend, we do so with one or more of our five senses. Now I want to ask you a question. Have you ever seen God? Have you tasted God? Have you heard God? How, how much, how does God smell? You say, I can't comprehend God with one or more of my five senses. Absolutely. So God comes along, and what does he do? He gives us a sixth sense by which we can apprehend and comprehend the spirit world, and that sixth sense is called faith. It is by faith that we know God. And folks, I just want you to understand when we talk about the reality of angels, if you don't believe in angels, you don't believe in God. For the same book that teaches us about angels is the book that teaches us about God. What are they? They're messengers from God. They have two attributes, angels, strength and wisdom, 2 Samuel 14, 20. And my Lord is wise according to the wisdom of an angel of God. Psalm 103, 20. Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength. Psalm 104, 4 says, he maketh his angels spirits, his ministering Spirits. Sometimes God came himself and didn't come in the person of an angel. In the story of Samson's life, Manoah was confronted by what she thought was an angel, but it was a theophany. It was probably God in the flesh. And that angel of the Lord, that was God, said unto him, Who asketh thou this after my name, seeing it is secret? I got enamored with the word like your pastor gets enamored. He's a wordsmith with words. You know that. Seeing Jesus is secret. That same word that is translated secret is translated wonderful in Isaiah 9, 6. He shall be called wonderful. Now, all I want you to understand when you think about the reality of angels, that they are exceedingly numerable all around us. Ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the holy city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and unto an innumerable company of angels. Boy, they're full of wisdom. 
and they're full of power. How powerful are the angels? On one night, one angel slew 185,000 Assyrians. Oh, it's one thing to understand the reality of angels, but you need to <clears throat> understand also the realm of angels. Now, we know that the Bible teaches us beyond a shadow of any doubt that angels at the bidding of God intervene in the affairs of nations. Angels have been used over and over again to execute judgment on nations. But on the other hand, they have been used by God to guide and comfort and provide for the people of God. And you're never really going to understand the concept of angels unless you understand their ranks in the kingdom of God. See, the evidence biblically demonstrates to us that they are ranked or organized in terms of authority and glory. The usual line of rankings as we see it biblically is archangels, seraphim, cherubim, and angels. We're not going to speak of principalities, authorities, powers, thrones, might, dominion, for they referred to the earth. There are different orders of angels, folks. Terry just got through to the best of his physical ability and spiritual understanding to help those angels that have been given to him and to us to worship. There are worship angels. They're called seraphims. This is what Isaiah 6 turns, talks about. They have three sets of wings. With two, they covered their face. Two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. These are special angels devoted by God to helping you and me to honor and bring praise and glory unto the heavenly Father. They are worship angels. Incredibly. Well, there's not only seraphims, there are cherubims. Thank God for the cherubims. These are the warrior angels. They have wings and feet and hands, Ezekiel says. I'll let the pastor explain the passage, but it talks about wings with, and eyes encompassed by wheels within wheels in Ezekiel 1.10. But in the book of Revelation that he exposed to us big time, in the fourth chapter, we see a picture of the angels known as the cherubim, guarding the holy place of God. They're warrior angels. Hey, that's exciting to me. God has angels to help me to worship him. And he has angels with wisdom and strength that will help me to face the tough times of life. And what are they doing? They are constantly glorifying God. 
the cherubim standing beside the throne of God. Psalm 81, thou that dwellest between the cherubim, shine forth. Psalm 99, 1, God sitteth between the cherubim. Seraphim, cherubim, and archangels. According to the Bible, there were three archangels. One was Michael, God's personal special angel. And there was Gabriel, the Holy Spirit's personal special angel. And there was Lucifer, the Lord Jesus' personal special angel. I don't know whether you're aware of the fact that whenever you speak the name of Jesus, the bad guy is so upset with that that it drives him absolutely crazy. Why? Well, listen to what he tried to do one time in the eons gone by. We look at the 14th chapter of Isaiah and listen to the 13th verse. For thou hast said in thine heart, this is Lucifer, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. And that which caused our ancestors, Adam and Eve, to be forced out of the Garden of Eden is still walking the streets of Austin, Texas. It is pride. It's what you want to do over against what God wants you to do. And here was Satan. The Bible tells us the most beautiful angel of all. Lucifer was filled with music. It's strange. Music can be such a blessing to those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ and to anyone. But music can also be used by the evil one to destroy life. And he was defeated and experienced great bitterness. And every time his, he hears the name of Jesus, he goes crazy. Lucifer? Oh, he's called by another name now. Diablo, the devil, or the name that my wife constantly refers to in prayer, the deceiver of deceivers. Now, Jude 9 tells us about Michael. Michael, the prefix arch, simply means a chief or principal or great angel. 
Michael is an angel above all angels, recognized in rank as the first prince of heaven. If I were to try and help you understand Michael's role, I would say he is God's chief administrator to carry out his wishes in heaven and on earth. Oh, and Gabriel? Gabriel simply means God's messenger or God's hero or the mighty one. Often called in the Bible the message, messenger of Jehovah. The reality of angels, they're real. Understand something about their realm and then finally we've got to thank God for the responsibilities of angels. You see, I've already alluded to the fact and said it time and again that angels have been given the responsibility to minister to the physical welfare of God's children. Every child of God has a ministering angel encamped about your life. In 1 Kings 19.5, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah after he had run 80 miles away from Carmel and Jezebel and was exhausted and discouraged. And the angel said to him, arise and eat. The psalmist says in 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth around them that fear him and deliver them. The psalmist says in 91.11, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. We just celebrated Christmas. Well, some few months after Christmas, Herod was trying to find that child and the angel of God came to Joseph and said in Matthew 2.13, take the child to Egypt. And a a few verses later in 2.19, he told the child that it was safe again to come back to Israel. Ministering spirits. Jesus suffered more than you and I can understand. Not only on the cross, but think about the matchless Son of God the pure Son of God, in agony in Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, because if there was any other way that he could take away my sin and yours, he'd rather that took place. But he said, not my will, but thine be done. And it was there in Gethsemane, the Bible says, the angels ministered to him. In Acts 5.19, the angels opened up the prison bars and the angels, we say, look upon us. We are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels. Angels are mentioned over 200 times in 35 books in the Bible. There are fallen angels because when Satan fell, he took with him all those that followed him. And they probably are what we now call today demonic spirits. Some of those fallen angels are 
even now in hell, waiting their final judgment. And the demonic spirits will join them in outer darkness. Jude 6, 2 says this. 2 Peter 2, 4 says this. John 5, 22 says this. What is the job of angels? Angels minister to us personally. There are many accounts of people who would say, I don't understand it. But I tell you, Pastor, something happened to me one time on the road, at school, in home, at work. That without that happening, I wouldn't be here. Are there a few of you who could say something like that happened in my life? Would you raise your hands? Yeah. What are you saying? You're saying, I don't understand it. I don't comprehend it. But I believe there was a point in time in my life when angels spared me. Why would God take my wife and two children? Why would God take James's wife and two, three children, whatever he lost? Why would God allow that? What's the big deal? Why didn't he take us so we could be home with them right now? Well, it's obvious. I had a message to tell, and so did James. Way back in World War II, which took place in 1734, I was there. <laughs> the number one hero at that moment in time was on a plane in the Pacific, flying over the Pacific to lead a new squadron. He had already downed 100 Japanese planes. Can you imagine? Captain Eddie Rickenbacker in that big seaplane. Something happened. The motors failed. And they landed, crash landed on the ocean. Hundreds and hundreds of miles away from land. And in that crash, one of the 12 men was injured. And when these men got out of the crashed plane and jumped into their rafts, they tied the rafts, two rafts together, and deposited the body of that one man to the ocean. They were out there almost two weeks. The mayor of New York City called upon all New York people to pray for Captain Eddie Rickenbacker and his crew. They couldn't find him. They searched and they searched and they searched. On the fourth day, one of the young men in the crew said, Sir, I feel compelled to say something. 
And Eddie said, go on, son. He said, when I was a boy, my mama took me to church all my life at that time. And I trusted Jesus as my Savior. And my God said that he would take care of me if I'd just trust him. And I believe, sir, I don't know how it's going to happen. But if we could all just begin to trust him, how do we do that? And one by one, this young man found his one among those other 10 and led each one of them to repent of their sins and receive Jesus as their Savior. They all began to believe God for a miracle. It rained a couple of times. They had some water. A jumping fish occasionally they caught, but they were out there for several days without a thing. And Eddie Rickenbacker, when they woke up one morning and said, God, we may not make it today unless you help us. And he didn't have the words out of his mouth, but along came a seagull. Seagulls don't fly 200 miles away from land. You know that. It landed on his shoulder. He was scared to death. He wouldn't catch it. But it just stayed right there, and he took that seagull, and they pulled off all the feathers. And then they ate it piece by piece, bone by bone, blood, everything. And Eddie Rickenbacker said, it sustained us that day, for late in the afternoon, a plane saw us, waggled its wings, dropped down on the ocean floor, and captured us, saved us. A few years ago, had you been living in Miami, you could have walked down to the pier in Miami Beach, and you would have seen an old man bent, now high 80s, nearly 90, coming along with a bag going to the end of the pier at five o'clock in the morning so he wouldn't be seen by people. And he took out that day-old bread and began to throw it. And the seagulls came by the hundreds and hovered around him. One day, a reporter was told about it and went out there and stopped him and said, Eddie, why are you doing that? He said, I don't know why I'm doing it other than I know that a seagull just like these saved my life, and it was an angel from God. And I don't know about all these seagulls, whether God wants to use them for the people of Miami Beach, but as long as I'm alive, I'm going to Take care of them. See, before I close, you've got to understand something. God uses angels in more practical ways than you can imagine. Let me ask you, just answer me. How many of you who are older as I am, 
you have children or grandchildren, how many of you, or great-grandchildren, how many of you pray for your children, grandchildren every morning? Would you do that? Raise your hand. If you're not, you should. You see, every single morning when Barbara and I have our quiet time together, for dead sure, I pray a hedge over my children and grandchildren. I ask angelic beings to put a hedge of support and safety over my kids. Say, is that biblical? Job 1.10 said, Hast thou not made a hedge about him, the devil said, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land, because God sent his angels to minister to them. Well, I'm 91 and a half. I probably don't have as much ahead of me as you do. But I can look you in the eye and say this. When the time comes for me to pass out of this world, and it'll come to all of us, because the writer of Ecclesiastes says that there's a time to live, there's a time to die. And I'm not afraid to die. I don't understand it. I don't want it to happen, so I pray every morning for Jesus to come back, which is okay. But I know when it comes, if it comes, there'll be a ministering angel around about my bed or wherever I am to say, welcome home, son. Welcome home. Bow with me in prayer. Some of you owe so much to God for sparing your life in so many ways. It's really terrible that God has been so good to us and we just forget to thank him. I want to give you a chance this morning if something unusual or special has taken place in your life that you can't understand, but you think an angel came and did something strategic in your life. Maybe you haven't specifically thanked God for that. I'm going to ask you to come to an old-fashioned altar. That's why we built this altar. It was designed to actually take 120 people just like they prayed at Pentecost. And there are some of you here this morning, while this is not a message dealing with how to get to heaven, I told you how to get to heaven in the message by asking God to forgive you of your sins and trusting Jesus as your Savior. Angels are ministering, folks. They're ministering right now, and if they're speaking to your heart, come to an old-fashioned altar and thank God for your ministering angel. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Strengthen us in everything we do to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.